Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thank you so much for listening today. My guest for this episode is my friend, BDK. BDK is a podcaster with a pastor's heart. His YouTube channel, Omega Frequency, is full of great teaching about how to follow Jesus, and it's an amazing community that he's created. BDK shares his testimony of how God turned him from a worshiper of Satan to a passionate and devoted follower of Jesus. It's an incredible transformation that I know that you're going to want to hear. So here is my interview with BDK. BDK, thanks so much for joining me today on the Faithful Podcast. Oh, Stephanie, it's my pleasure to join you on the Faithful Podcast. Just want to say up front that, uh, like, not blowing smoke or anything like that, but it's a real honor to be on your podcast. I love your podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts I get to listen to every month. Wow. Man, 2020 was a bad year. Yeah. It was a bad year. Mm. I lost lost friends, lost people I was close to, to the C-19. Oh, we can say COVID on your podcast because <laughs> they haven't banned it on this platform yet. Yeah. Um, mm. Your podcast brought me through a bunch of really whack times, man. Just hearing the testimony of people. Um, man, that episode you did with Meredith Crowder wow. was a huge blessing to me talking about mental illness and things of that nature during a time where I felt like I was losing my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was really courageous to hear, you know, her story of mental illness is someone that like has been diagnosed as bipolar manic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I take medication. I seek Christian counseling every month for that. You don't hear those stories because mm -hmm. you got to be perfect. You know, yeah. no one wants to listen to a podcaster or a preacher that has mental problems, right? Mm. And it was incredibly courageous. And I just want to thank you for having me on the podcast. And just let you know, man, it's been a blessing mm. in some in some dark times this year, man. So thank you. Well, I am so just pleased to hear that. That's just warms my heart so much. I am so thankful for God giving me this sort of platform to share other people's stories and just give them an opportunity to tell what God has done. And I have been really fortunate. Like most of the people that I've interviewed have been friends and they've just been like, okay, yeah, I'll share. And so Meredith, the one that you're talking about, she's a very, very close friend of mine and I admire her courage too. And I just, I'm, I'm so thankful to hear how the podcast has been a blessing to you. And, um, so you sort of jumped in there, man, but tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you're up to these days. Okay, well, I don't know how much of your audience is going to know who I am. My name's BDK. Um, it's a nickname people call me, yeah. for better or worse. That's just how I'm known now. Yeah. Like, if I wanted to even start using my real name, people would be like, who's this joker? <laughs> um, I... I well, I don't even, well, I guess I still do podcasting. I run a podcast called Omega Frequency. Mm -hmm. Your husband is a big part of that. Yeah. My best friend, Kurt Lee, mm. Kuss, he's a big part of it. Um, we also do a bunch of stuff on YouTube. 
Um, man, we do a lot of stuff. And what am I up to? Uh, I'm laying track for everything that I'm doing moments before I do it. <laughs> so I'm just kind of figuring out what I'm doing. Uh, this whole thing of YouTube, learning technology. I'm not a technological person. Yeah. I'm a punk rock hillbilly. So like, <laughs> uh. like I grasp three chords and some truth and and a little bit of country living, that's about it. Yeah. Like all of this high-tech cameras and microphones and gear. and Yeah, I miss the days of being able just to preach with a microphone in an old-fashioned Bible, you know, like yeah. back in the day when it was simple. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're doing. God's been extremely awesome, extremely gracious. Uh, he's blessed this ministry in ways that I can't even begin to describe. So God's been good. That's what I'm up to. Just uh, preaching the gospel and seeking truth. Yeah. You know, um, I think that it's really awesome the way that Kurt has, you know, stepped in and done so much on the tech side. And in a similar way, I could not have done this sort of thing without my husband, Phil. Like it, I have no clue. I sit down and I talk (laughs) to people and he figures everything else out. So you know, God bless those folks. You know, he puts us together for a reason. And, you know, I think it's really awesome. You you have this YouTube channel and you have been putting out so much content. There's always stuff for folks to come and listen to. And it's all different types of things that, um, you know, it's not the same thing over and over. You've got worship services. You've got question and answer. You've got you know, more of like a sermon type things. You've got all different sort of things going on. I think that's, it's really awesome. And especially with 2020 being a year where people had to leave their churches in a lot of ways and had to maybe stop gathering together um, just based off of, you know, maybe the local law or maybe um, just safe, you know, feeling safe for themselves or whatever it might be. I think that's, an awesome time for this to really kick off because it's become a church and a community for so many people. And I mean, you already had the podcast before, but this allows it to be more interactive. And I think it's awesome what you guys have done and what God has done through you. Well, you, you may not even realize this. You had a small part to play in this because I've been listening to the pod, the faithful podcast and these testimonies, like since your very first episode. And every time I listen to these things, like the power of just positively knowing that somebody has a similar story or they've gone through things, Mm. um, to hear a voice and to be able to relate to it. Um, sometimes that's all it takes in a hard situation. Mm. Like I remember one of the very early episodes might have been like the first episode or the second episode, mm-hmm. the one where the person is like going through the court, forgiving everybody and the mur- and it's just like oh, these crazy yeah. circumstances, man. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that was part of the reason that I showed my face during the COVID outbreak because yeah. I had podcasted for almost five years. Nobody knew what I looked like. All they heard was my voice. Mm. We were actually live on YouTube, but the only thing you could see was a little pulsating Omega frequency tower. Wow. And I remember like three, Phil just went back. He was hanging out with us. He just went back to Texas. Mm-hmm. We were talking about maybe going live or maybe showing my face at some point. And I'm like, well, that's like a while away off, you know, yeah. not till we have to. And I remember doing a show on the COVID 
And I remember just being completely overwhelmed. My wife was working. Well, you're a nurse. My wife's a nurse. Mm -hmm. So like she was working on the front lines. They didn't have PPE. Like they barely had masks. Mm. Um, They didn't have any protocol. Like I'm worried about my wife dying. Like Mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed. And it was a live stream, so I could see the comments that day as they were going through, even though they couldn't see me. And there were a lot of people that were scared and concerned, man. Because, like, this was, like, two weeks into the thing, man. Mm -hmm. And I remember just, like, thinking about that power of just letting people know you're there and sharing who you are. Mm. And I had been going through things where I was listening to podcasts like yours and other various uh, Christian ministries that week. And it just seemed like if there was ever a time to flip the camera on in the middle of a show, like literally the last 10 minutes of the episode, I just flipped the camera on. Wow. Like I didn't have a good camera angle. I didn't have any sort of lighting. It was just the little the little camera that came in the monitor. Yeah. It wasn't even a webcam. Oh. <laughs> like it was yeah. it was so bare bones, but I remember just thinking somebody needs to see that I'm not afraid. Yeah. And that and that there's people that'll stand with them and pray with them. And so I remember turning it on and saying, Look in my eyes, I'm not afraid. Yeah. I was afraid. But <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to tell people you don't have to be afraid. And that part of it was that I was listening to a bunch of these podcasts. Yours was one of them. There mm-hmm. were some other ones I was listening to too. Yeah. And that connection when people share mm-hmm. like core things about themselves, when yeah. they step out and they're vulnerable, like there's just something powerful about that. And mm. yeah, that blew up our ministry pretty big, man, doing all the YouTube and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a scary right. thing when you <laughs> when you step out and you you do that sharing, but vulnerability begets more vulnerability. It's it's this cycle that you start, and you know you see it in um, the comments on YouTube stuff with you guys. You see people sharing like they don't know each other. Most of them have never seen each other, and they're sharing things like I'm you know I'm dealing with my mom who's having these mental issues or I'm dealing with depression or, you know, just very vulnerable stuff. And so your vulnerability encourages more. So I just keep up that good work, man. Um, So tell us how you... Interviews already gone off the rails. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. This is good. I'm sorry. No, but tell us how you became a Christian. How'd you come to know Jesus? Um, I was 18 years old. And I met an awesome girl in high school mm-hmm. who became my high school sweetheart, who became my wife. I grew up in the church. Um, I'm a classic pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew up in the country, and I mean like country, country. Like people, the we we were a Wisconsin Lutheran synod. So that's the strictest of all Lutheran denominations. Mm. So strict that it was King James, our our denomination almost blew up when they introduced the NIV because it's King James. We had this idea that you approach God very seriously, very somberly. Our hymnal didn't have amazing grace in it. It It's too emotional of a song and not theologically accurate. Um, I was like, I think 14 years old when I first heard that song and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, 
I've never heard of but, anybody having yeah. a problem with Amazing Grace. Never. <laughs> it wasn't in. It wasn't in her hymnal, man. Wow. It just wasn't. Okay. Uh, too emotional. Mm. Um. It was like Little House on the Prairie Church. There was a school that was about like twenty minutes away from us. That school had grades one through eight in two two rooms. Um, people wore their Sunday best to church, and that was overalls. You know what I'm saying? Wow. But it was awesome because yeah. it was a community. And uh, my dad was the perfect person for that. Mm. He he was a he was a holiness hillbilly at heart, man. And he just <laughs> loved Jesus. Mm. He did. He loved Jesus, man. It was amazing. I would love to hear my dad preach about God. He never wrote a sermon in his life, man. He just wrote notes in his Bible. And he'd get up there and he'd just preach. And it wasn't so much preaching. It was like talking about real, real stuff. Like how just, oh man, I could rabbit trail forever. Mm. He made scripture relatable because he lived scripture. Yeah. Like we were dirt poor, like, cause it was literally the loss in the prairie. Like people gave tithes and offerings, basically like chickens, milk, wow. meat, you know, like there were times where for lunch we'd have potatoes and for dinner we'd have potato skins. Mm. You know, we would stretch all of our food. And I remember we had a black and white television, man, with uh, those rabbit ears and the foil. And we couldn't get like three channels to save our lives. <laughs> and my mom was super excited because we were going to uh, get... Uh, an upgrade on the TV. We were going to get a, a nicer black and white because we couldn't afford a color, but she was super happy to see the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And then my dad's uh, boots and his coats and all this stuff uh, got stolen from him mm -hmm. in town. Like someone broke into the old church van and stole like a bunch of his clothes and stuff that were in the back seat. Mm -hmm. And so we had to choose between a TV and my dad getting a new winter coat because Minnesota, dude, mm. winters are horrible down there, man. Yeah. Like, like you don't start your cars some days, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you walk outside and your lungs freeze. Yeah. New boots, mm. uh, blankets for the car, new jacket. And I remember my dad, like pretty much there was no money left over for the TV upgrade. And all I remember was my mom yelling and screaming at my dad like two days later after he bought all this stuff. And she's like, I can't believe this. You're always doing this. And she's just yelling at my dad. And I'm like, what's going on? And I come to the banister of the stairs and I'm just sitting there and I'm listening, man. Cause like, I'm scared. I've never heard my mom yell at my dad like that before. Mm -hmm. My mom's a pretty chill person. And she's yelling at my dad because he picked up a hitchhiker on the way home from church and the hitchhiker was cold and he gave him his jackets, gave him his boots and the blanket. Oh man. And, and, and preached the gospel to him on the ride home. Mm -hmm. That's who my dad was, man. Yeah. And so like, I always wanted to be a pastor mm -hmm. and, um, but I fell away when I was a teenager because my dad died when I was really young. Mm -hmm. Um, he, 
like I said, man, like there was no thing called health insurance for a country hillbilly preacher, right? And he ran ragged. Like he had a church and then he had a side little church uh, two towns over that a pastor had left. So he was doing double duty, making visitations, just trying his best to like do everything. Mm. And his brother um, was working in the military in New Mexico. And he's a high ranking member of the uh, Air Force or was before he retired. Mm -hmm. And his brother was going to, he just went, he saw some crazy stuff, which is a whole nother topic for a whole nother day down in Mexico. Uh, close to Roswell Mm -hmm. and uh, it terrorized him and he was about ready to break up with his wife. Wow. And my dad was doing really, really horrible. His health was not good, but he packed everybody and the youth group into a church van and we drove all the way down there on a quote unquote uh, youth outing. (laughs) We saw (laughs) some caverns and we did some whitewater rafting but like in reality, my dad wanted to talk to my brother mm-hmm. or his brother, his brother yeah. who was my legal guardian at the time. And his brother was his best friend. And he went down there to talk about the things that he saw, talk about all the stuff that was going on and basically try to save that marriage. Mm-hmm. And he came back and it was like two days later after the stress of that trip, he was in the hospital and his body just gave out on him, man. Mm-hmm. And he he was burning the candle at both ends for too long. He went into the hospital like two days afterwards. He was in the hospital. I wanted to go see him, but my dad didn't want me and my sister who was younger than me. Like, and I was probably like nine or 10 at mm-hmm. that point. Didn't Didn't want us to be in there, not at all. And um, he was like, I'm going to get better in a couple days. You guys can come and see me then. Well, that never happened because later on that night, he died. Um, and I remember waking up in the morning and the church organist babysitting us and my mom going to the hospital and coming home and trying to tell me and my sister that my dad was dead. And man, that tore me up. Because my dad was like literally the person I looked up to. He was one of the reasons I wanted to be a pastor. Like we didn't have very many toys. We didn't have very many possessions. Mm -hmm. But like there was a person who uh, was really amazing at like wood carving. And he just built like these amazing like dollhouses. And I remember he gave my sister this giant dollhouse that flipped up from the top it was like all handcrafted it looked amazing and he gave me one but it was actually our church so he had recreated our church pews and everything this big dollhouse type thing and like that was my toy like i envisioned myself preaching like my dad Mm. and um i wanted to be a preacher i went and i pursued it i went to the lutheran Uh, preparatory school Mm -hmm. and uh, found out that when you go to a nice uh, suburbish cliquish 
I was just out of my league, man. Like I'm this little country kid who doesn't know what's going on. I got mental issues. I got trauma. I blame God for taking my dad, but I still want to be this pastor. It's all I've ever wanted to be. And I just remember going to this school and it's like, it was a boarding school. So it was a preparatory school. It was two hours from my home. So I actually lived there. It was the first time I was ever, ever on my own. I was like 12, 13. Yeah. And like, I just couldn't fit in, man. I just couldn't fit in. Like I had no social skills. Like, I just couldn't fit it in. I fell into uh, some wrong people that lived in the town side. So like my roommate had a twin brother who had was who didn't go to that school, but went to the local public high school. And I'd go over to his house on the weekend and we'd hang out with his brother and we would drink, we would smoke, we would uh, listen to heavy metal music, uh, watch questionable movies on VHS, all these stupid little rebellious things that you do, man. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got carried away. Like I made all these friends on the outside, so I stopped like participating. I uh, I basically ended up getting expelled from preacher school as a freshman, wow. which doesn't happen very often, <laughs> but. But it did, and I went back to public school, and I kind of completely lost my faith. Mm. Um, I was doing drugs. I was drinking. I was listening to heavy metal. I found out about this thing called punk rock music. Uh, I was hanging around with a bunch of punk skinheads. There were neo-Nazi skinheads mixed in the mixture of that skinhead group. Mm. Um, yeah, it was nuts. Uh, back in the eighties, of course, there was the satanic panic. So it was all about Satanism with all that in there too. And I was just kind of wild and out of control. I was basically the punk rock hillbilly. I had basically long hair cut down to the sides so that it could go into like a giant mohawk, um, Slayer t-shirts, anarchy jackets, like my mom and my grandpa, my grandma, God bless their hearts, super strict religious people but didn't know what to do with me. Their plan was to get me to be an usher in the church so that I would have to go to church at least twice a month to do usher duties. That way I could take communion because in the Lutheran church, it's all about the means of grace, right? As long as you're taking communion, as long as you're praying, and as long as you were baptized as an infant, you're cool, you're getting into heaven. Mm -hmm. And that was about the depth of that theology. And I remember the pastor coming over to the house, like basically like the pastor, like my grandpa and my grandma, like they were one of the founding members of this church. So like they had tremendous sway, like everybody, like ushers, elders, all that stuff. My uncle was the head usher. Mm -hmm. So the pastor came over. He didn't want me to be an usher. Like he comes into the house, it reeks of pot. Mm. Like I'm wearing a Slayer t-shirt, you know? mohawk. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, hey, you want to be an usher? And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I could tell that he didn't want to be there nor do it, but he didn't really have a say in the man. (laughs) (laughs) nice and uh i did it just to get my grandpa my grandma off my back and my mom and like it was a crisis of faith for me because it was like at that point 
I remember when they had the installation of the ushers, they would call everybody up front and they would pray over them and they would uh, read about the deacons and the Stevens and the Phillips and all that stuff. And I remember thinking like, these guys have no discernment, man. I, if there was anybody here that shouldn't be an usher, it's me. Yeah. I listen to satanic music. Half my friends are neo-Nazis. Like, like Jesus was Jewish. Like, I yeah. have no interest in being here. I'm high right now. Mm. Um, and yet, there's no discernment. And I realized at that moment that, like, and this is totally, totally bad. But, man. I was like, there is no power of God. This Bible that I've been believing in, this Bible that these people are preaching, it's all an act. It's all just everything that my bad friends told me it was, it is. Mm. Because they're doing everything on autopilot. They don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. They say they believe in the Bible, but like the only time I've ever seen someone legitimately live their faith was my dad. And I knew my dad believed in Jesus, but like I also knew people could believe things and it not be completely true. Yeah. And I remember uh, just kind of giving up on God and religion. And I actually ended up going into Satanism. Um, I had a very miraculous encounter uh, with an Ouija board and a bunch of satanic prophecy that came true. And I remember going through that unique moment and being like, the devil's real. The devil has power. Like, they weren't lying about the devil. Yeah. And, like, I remember just giving my life over to the devil, man. I started getting into esoteric writings, Crowley. LaVey, like more, like I stopped taking marijuana and I started taking like mind altering drugs Mm -hmm. for purposes of like expanding the mind. Yeah. And I went super, super crazy, man, to the point where I made everyone that I lived with, like my family, the people I went to school with, they were terrorized of me. Like I was just completely out of control. It got so bad that my best friend who did a lot of drugs with me, who was a neo-Nazi, basically narked me out to our drug uh, counselor. We had an AODA uh, drug program counselor. Mm -hmm. He went in and said, yo, this guy's got a ton of drugs in his locker. (laughs) Which you never do, right? You never narc your friends. You never drop the dime. You never snitch. And he did. And like, I remember getting pulled out of class and they were opening up my locker and sure enough, man, I'm like, oh boy, I'm busted. I remember going into the the counselor's room and my friend is sitting there mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, they got him too. And it's like, nope, he dropped the dime. <laughs> oh, he looked at me and he said, man, you are scaring me so much that you either need to go away to jail or rehab. And I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm like, no, you're doing this because you're a punk, sir. Mm. And uh, like, I had a choice to make. Like, I could either go to rehab or I could go to jail. And I chose rehab because that seemed a lot more cool than juvie at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I did. I went. And I got clean. I got sober. But, like, my head wasn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, like... 
the only thing good the drugs and everything were doing for me where they were keeping me like straight jacketed yeah. away from my feelings and my emotions. And then I didn't have that now. And then I really went crazy. Like I became super suicidal, like mm-hmm. those demonic dreams and the demons that I had worshiped. Uh, they knew that they were losing. They were putting massive suicidal um, thoughts into my head. I went back to the rehab, but to the other side of the wing where they just dealt with mental stuff because I had a complete breakdown. Mm. And keep in mind, I was 17 years old Gosh. doing all of this. And um, I got out of that. I went back to school and I met this really cool girl um, by complete random accident. She was a Pentecostal believer. I didn't know what a Pentecostal was because so, like I thought there were there were Catholics, there were Lutherans, uh, that there were anyone outside of that that were heretics, you know. <laughs> Seriously, because that's what yeah. they taught us. Yeah. They're like, if you find yourself in a wedding of someone that's that's not Lutheran, you don't even bow your head and close your eyes and pray because you're giving assent to false doctrine, you oh, know. Wow. Yeah, I mean. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But I met this girl who lived her face. She had a Jesus club group of friends who were part of a program at school called Time Out or Release Time, where one hour a week, everybody gets on a bus, go five minutes down the road to a local evangelical free church basement, and they teach you about Jesus for an hour. Mm. Pretty good concept. You know, you always get people yelling about like how to bring God into public school. Get them out of school. Take them across the street. They'll go in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Everybody going to skip out of school to hear about Jesus, man. <laughs> um, more people should do it. It's a wild thing. <laughs> she had a group of Jesus friends, and her and her Jesus friends were always like, we're praying for you. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I kind of started crushing on this girl. Like, I really started kind of crushing on this girl. Because this girl would talk to me and she would, she wasn't afraid of me and, but she wasn't going to go out with someone that wasn't a Christian either, you know? Oh man. Cause that, that, that was a deal breaker, you know? Yeah. Pentecostal holiness woman ain't, ain't going out with mm-hmm. some, some sinner. Um, so if you're even dating, you know? Right. So, so I started going to this timeout program, try to earn the brownie points and, I decided that I would I would give this thing a chance and these Christians started rubbing off on me. These silly Christians, man. Like oh, they would wear me down, man. <laughs> and uh I remember honestly being uh still kind of having some of the issues, man. And I remember skipping school and I remember being at a very low point where I just didn't think life was really basically worth living. And I was really doing a mental inventory and reasons why I should live and why I shouldn't live. And I remember like just getting really bummed out and going downstairs and watching TV and I'm flipping through the channels. And you gotta keep in mind that like, this is the eighties. These are the days of the Sally, Jesse Raphael's and the Geraldo Rivera's. And yeah. they're always doing these specials on Satanism and all this crazy stuff. Cause that was the thing back then. And there was this person talking about how they were into Satanism. But I'm like, all right, I'll watch this. I thought it was Geraldo Rivera because he was doing all kinds of shows like that. And I'm watching this person talk about their story. 
And I was like, man, that's my story on this TV screen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just blown away. And then at the very end, he's talking about how Jesus came into his life and changed everything. And I'm like, well, I didn't expect the story to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like the testimony ends and it's Pat Robertson. Mm. And I'm like, oh no. Because <laughs> like the one the one thing I hated being a punk rock metal guy or TV evangelist, right? Right. Because like they were the ones that were against everything we believed in, like the Jimmy Swaggerts and the 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 guy from the what's his name, Jim Baker, mm-hmm. Pat Robertson. Like it's kind of ironic that God would save me using someone in a ministry model that I kind of really always rubbed me the wrong way, even as yeah. a minister, it rubbed me the wrong way because of the fakery and just the greed of all that stuff. Yeah. But I heard the gospel in a way that I could understand it from a testimony of someone that had a very similar story to me. And I remember giving my life to Jesus. And then the real story begins, which is what I guess we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. Um, my wife and the leader of the timeout and a couple of her friends said, hey, come to church with us. And I'm like, what What now? And they're like, yeah, come to church with us, man. Like, we got a Sunday night service. There's a street evangelist who uh, spoke at our timeout. And I remember being blown away by this guy too because he was basically a drug addict. He got saved in like his ministry around like the worst parts of Milwaukee, parts that me and my friends wouldn't even go down because mm-hmm. they're bad. And like most ministries operate in the daylight times, his operated from like three in the morning till seven in the morning. And he would go and he would minister to prostitutes, drug addicts, like him and his team, dude, they would hand out sandwiches, gospel tracts, pray for people. Like they were literally doing just awesome stuff. And I remember being really impressed by that. And he was preaching, and if you ever go to like one of those old school Pentecostal churches, those Sunday night services, that's where it's at. Like during the morning, like everybody's all nice and chill and all business-like, but you go on a Sunday night, there's like no format of service. That thing can go an hour, it can go 10 hours. It don't matter. It's (laughs) the gospel thing. And uh, I didn't know that, but I remember walking into that church, Stephanie, and I'm like... Remember, I the the first time I heard Amazing Grace was like three years before this, oh, right? Yeah. Because now I'm almost 18. Too emotional of a song, man. These right. people. Like, there was nothing out of order. Nobody was falling on the ground or speaking in tongues out of order or shaking or barking. It was just a classical, old school, Holy Ghost Assembly of God church. But like these people were singing some of the hymns I even knew, but they were playing them super loud. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've never heard this rendition of this song before, like some this way. And they were praising God. Some of them were dancing. Some of them were lifting their hands up. Like you could definitely feel something different about that church service. The only frame of reference that I knew of were snake handlers. Like I was expecting snakes to be passed out any minute. Honest (laughs) to God, I literally turned around and 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 said to the leader of the timeout thing, like I'm like, they aren't going to start passing out snakes, are they? And she just laughed at me. Just laughed at me. 
But, oh, it was crazy. And then the preacher, and this is really weird because I remember this sermon. I was 18. Now I'm like almost 48 now next month. I still remember this sermon. That pastor gets up after the testimony time from that street evangelist pastor gets up and he's like, yeah, God's doing something. He's taking people that serve the devil He's turning them into saints of God. And we need young people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, people that are in Babylon. And he's going through this whole thing about like, if you serve God, the fire can't burn you. And then there's this Holy Ghost fire. And I don't even understand half the theology that this dude's preaching, but man, he's passionate about it. And I remember just thinking, this is the stuff that I read about in the book of Acts. This is why I wanted to be a pastor. Yeah. This is real. Mm-hmm. And he gets done preaching and he's like, we're just going to open up the altars. You come down, you pray. They started playing some music. I was freaked out. I was very touched by what happened, but I just, I was on overload. Mm-hmm. This was a lot to take in for me. And I remember turning to the leader of the timeout and saying, hey, can we go now? And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course. She's like, what'd you think? And I'm like, this was definitely interesting. Like, I don't know what to make of this. I'm like, but I really liked it. And we were about ready to leave. And we were sitting next to a grandma and a grandpa. And I remember this little old grandma starts tugging on my, sh- my shirt, right? And I look, I look over and I have to look down. She's tiny, man. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, young man, God just told me that you're supposed to go down to that altar. Mm. Well, that's and freak she's you like, out. she's like, God also said that if you leave, he understands and that he'll respect it. But if you go down to that altar, like, you know, you want to, he'll, he'll meet you there and he'll answer the, the prayer that you've been trying to pray, yeah. which was, I want what these people have. Mm. And I freaked out. Because I'm like, what kind of truth? This they read minds here, <laughs> you know. I didn't know anything yeah. about words of knowledge or anything like that, man. And so, like, what do you do at that point? You go, <laughs> yeah. you know. You you have to go. Like, there's you just you you have to go, man. So I I go down. There's a pretty sizable group of people down there, and I didn't know what to do. Well, I've never been in an altar call before. I just noticed that people were like singing people had their hands up they were worshiping mm-hmm. and i didn't know what to do so i just kind of blended into the crowd and put my hands up because that's what everybody else was doing right. and after a couple of minutes man i just felt the power of god in such an incredible way like it was like holy moment type stuff like where i didn't want to open my eyes and i didn't want to move because I could feel god's presence and it, i had no frame of reference for it but i just knew that God was real and he was in this small little Pentecostal church, man. And the and I and I just I just didn't even know what to pray. I just said something to the effect of, Lord, I believe everything that pastor said. And if you give me what these people got, I promise you, right now I will serve you harder than I serve the devil. Mm. And the moment I said that, honest to goodness, Stephanie, I felt hands on the back of my neck. And I felt literally a warmth just go through my body. And I just stood there. I wasn't shaking. I wasn't out of order. I just stood there 
tears, tears, tears rolling down my eyes, man. And I remember trying to talk and I was speaking in an unknown language, like mm. not jibber jabber, but something that sounded a lot like Chinese. And I did not know what was going on, yeah. but I wasn't afraid either. Mm. And I turned around and it was this lady's husband had made his way up and put his hands on the back of my neck. Yeah. Um, I got back into ministry. I wanted to be a minister again. Oh, and yeah. I started going to that church. I fell deeply in love with my wife. We got married. Mm-hmm. I started going to Bible school. I s- I wanted to know this God that I met. Yeah. And I wanted to find out who he was. And that's the quest of truth I've been on this last 30 years. Because I would say up until about six years ago, I spent almost my whole entire life chasing that experience I had when I was 18. I wanted to feel that, know that God again. And man, I went through some wild journeys for truth. But I also remember when I first started going to Bible school, and I remember during a prayer of time, a time of prayer that I just, like, I don't hear God's voice audibly. I don't hear anything like that. But when I read scripture sometimes, I can almost just, understand mm-hmm. and I remember like reading a psalm about truth and about how truth guides people then I remember reading a psalm or not a psalm but a scripture about how the spirit is the spirit of truth and he guides us into all truth and I just remember feeling an assurance that I could go search out truth mm-hmm. in this realm of Christianity and even if I went into some places that I shouldn't be as long as I kept praying and kept checking everything against the word of God, that even if I stayed someplace I shouldn't have been for a longer season, that God would always bring me back and course correct me and bring me back into the truth. And that's a really powerful realization that I think every Christian should have at least once in their life that, God's not up there as some giant taskmaster giving you the pop quiz being like, you got to get every answer right. Like (laughs) God wants to be known because we're his children. If there's one thing that God wants to do is he wants to have an audience with his creation, his children. That's why he sent Jesus so that that could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why he gives the Holy Spirit, not necessarily for experiences or tongues or any of these things, but so that we can have a guide into truth. And man, I've been down some crazy roads for truth, trying to find truth. And I've been to places I shouldn't have been. And I've stayed in places that I shouldn't have stayed in too long. And God has always brought me back to truth, even though like, it almost spiritually cost me everything and physically everything at certain points of this journey. Uh, So that's how I guess I came to know Jesus. I don't know how I rabbit trailed. Uh, (laughs) No, that's great. Um, Forgive me if I got too far off point there. No, I think it's, 
it's really awesome that you know you're talking about this um, journey in understanding who God is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus today. And, um, you know, you grew up one way and you saw that there was some good to that, but there was also a lot of areas where that didn't line up necessarily with scripture. And then, you know, you've, you've had different church experiences over the years and it's, it's still changing. And I think that, um, I think that it takes a lot of humility to, to admit that you don't have it all figured out and that you're still seeking to know, not that you're, you know, expecting that you're getting this new revelation or anything like that. We don't want it to sound like it's this heresy that, you know, God's, you know, this new revelation that's coming. I mean, this is understanding more in a, in the context in which the Bible was written and um, understanding more of what the earliest Christians would have believed this to mean instead of looking at it as a, you know, Christian living in America in the 2000s and how we view it through our lens. So um, how have you seen this search for truth changing your beliefs? Um, And has that been, I mean, it sounds like it's been pretty challenging for you, but can you share how that's been a challenge? Yeah, so... When I became a pastor, it's like you said, people always expect you to know the truth so that you could teach the truth. And you have to know the truth theologically as a guardrail and a theme work so that you can do that. Right. And I've always been the type of person that if I don't know something, I'm just going to tell you, yo, I don't know this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try my very best to be one of these people that, you know, who you see is who you get. Mm-hmm. To be authentic like my dad was and... I grew up in that, like from the age of 18 now, this whole stretch of my life was this holiness Pentecostal environment. And that's both good and bad because I met some amazing people who spoke a lot of truth into my life. I was super lucky, Stephanie. Part of the ministry program that I had to do was I had to work in my local church as part of the Bible college And I had to be under the membership of one of the pastors or the elders. And the only one that had the free time to do it was the senior citizen's retired pastor, Uh right? So I'm like, oh, I'm this young kid, senior citizen pastor. Like, what am I going to do, bingo? Like, I was salty about (laughs) the whole thing. And then I started talking to Pastor Donald, man. And this dude, like, could tell you the stories of Pentecost, Mm-hmm. He was around, and his father knew Smith Wigglesworth, and like they had all of these great stories. And I was like, "Whoa, well, these people walked with God." I learned about people like Leonard Ravenhill, David Wilkerson. I started finding out stuff about Keith Green. Oh, yeah. I uh, started getting into this like real, like authentic r- people that were just radically transformed. And I wanted that sort of truth. I wanted to know how a man who was in the country, gets called out to New York City to deal, to preach to gang members, and then starts World Challenge and Teen Challenge, and is arguably probably the last prophet of God we've ever had in America. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what makes these people tick. Um, and I r- learned really quickly that it's a shame 
that we pursue the youth and the young and the hip and the trendy over the experience of the elderly a lot of times in our churches. Mm -hmm. And we should have young people, we should have new blood, all of that's good, but they should be partnered up with people that have walked this walk, have seen the things of God, who have been faithful. Those two should coexist. But a lot of times those those old preachers, they're tolerated because they have ties to the church, but basically, man, honestly, they're waiting for them to die so they can get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, I found, I started going to the School of Christ, which is a missionary school that trains uh, pastors and evangelists. They plant these schools in the country, train the pastors and evangelists there. They go out and they plant churches. And Pastor Clendenin was an old school man of God, spoke a lot of life into my life. A lot of what I teach, a lot of what I believe in came from him. I came back and joined up with a pretty radical holiness Pentecostal church. Um, This was one of those churches that believed too hard. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Cause like at the time we had stuff like Brownsville, Toronto, we had a lot of worldly things going on in the 90s, like the seeker-sensitive purpose-driven life church was just starting to come about. And I remember even the assemblies of God going into just bad ways. And so like I became ordained in a local Pentecostal independent fellowship mm-hmm. and I course corrected too much Yeah, because I, I didn't like all the counterfeit shenanigans that were going on. So I went even harder. I swung even harder the other way. I wound up in a church where you had to have long hair. Women had to wear dresses, couldn't wear wedding rings, couldn't go to movie theaters, mm. couldn't listen to Christian rock and roll. Um, pray the prayer of faith, like go to a doctor if at all necessary, but never a psychiatrist. Go to a whorehouse before you go see a psychiatrist, man. Gosh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, which was bad because I was still dealing with like bipolar, uh, manic depression, like, but you just pray that stuff away. That's not how that works, man. Yeah. You know, like sometimes it is, but like most of the time you got to put in work and like mm-hmm. you can live an awesome life. But you got to put in the work, man, to do that. Yeah. And so, like, I course corrected too much. And all I did was ministry. They launched me out into my own church. Once our church became too big, we became like a satellite sister church. And I went even harder, man. And I'm one of these people that I believe in missions. I believe in evangelism. Like, I'm like, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like, I don't want a salary. Give it all the missions. <laughs> and so, like, I wouldn't take a salary. We gave it everything away to the School of Christ and Milwaukee Rescue Mission and all these other places. And I was working a full-time job plus a full-time pastorship plus evangelist. And I was just pushing myself like my dad. Mm. And I was about ready to burn out, man in a very bad way. Plus like this mental illness stuff, not only is in my family, it was in my wife's family. My wife's father committed suicide. Um, His demons just got up with him. And like everything was falling apart. 
everything was falling apart. And I just remember being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can choose my family or I can choose ministry, but it's got to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped away from the ministry. I said, I'm out. I remember going to the elder board of the church and being like, two weeks from now, last Sunday I'm preaching. And I'm like, you know, do what you got to do. And I walked away because I thought clearly God would still honor, but like I had to do what was right, take care of the family. I did that. But the problem was, (laughs) this is going to sound really crazy. I wanted to go to a church that was a little bit more (sighs) non-legalistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I figured, like, I still want to go to church, but I don't want to be a minister. And so guess what church I chose? I chose a holiness apostolic church, oneness Pentecostalism. Hmm. And you're like, now, come on, man. They're totally legalistic, <laughs> mm-hmm. like beyond legalistic. Well, that ought to tell you how legalistic the church I was going to was a part of before, right? Because yeah. these guys seem like purpose-driven life church. And like I started getting really deep into that oneness Pentecostal theology, man. It was bad because that stuff's not right, man. Got to speak in tongues, got to be baptized in Jesus' name, you know, like no Trinity, all that stuff. And that really messed me up spiritually. And then like this new apostolic reformation was just starting, but we didn't call it that. I had friends who went to Bible school with that were minister friends of mine who got hooked up with this Bill Hammond guy who gave personal words of prophecy. Everyone was convinced that they were apostles and prophets. They came, pulled me out of that church and they were like, you need rescuing. And then they started prophesying all this crazy stuff over me. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on? And finally I just said enough mm-hmm. with everything. I'm like, I am tired of this, man. I am I am spiritually burnt out. I was almost destroyed spiritually. I walked away from my faith completely. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in a restaurant with my friend Kurt, just being like, I don't believe in God anymore. And he was just like, what? He's like, that can't be. And I'm like, I just don't believe in God anymore. Mm-hmm. And it started off with that. Like I was just going to take a, take a brief pause, but like you give the devil an inch and he'll take you a mile. You let him ride in the car. Soon he's going to want to drive, man. And I started drinking again. I started being stupid again. Um, the drinking got completely out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, I was self-medicating. I stopped took my I stopped taking my medication. Mm. I uh I just didn't want to be here anymore, Stephanie. Yeah. And uh I remember literally hanging out with Kurt. I had drank Rockstar energy drinks and vodka. I was mixing it all day long. I drank way beyond what I should have drank. We went out, we watched a movie, we got some Sobelmans. I came home to Kurt's house. He was like, you're not driving home. You're completely tore up. He's like, I'm going to drive you home. I thought I was going to die, man. I was just like shaking, like sick. And we passed by a Denny's on the way home. And I'm like, dude, we got to stop. I got I to 
I got to throw up. And he's like, all right, go. So me and him walk into the Denny's. I go into the bathroom. And I hit my knees. And I remember just hugging the toilet bowl and throwing up neon green energy drink. puke. And the only reason that I knew that something was wrong was because there was blood mixed in with that neon green drink. Mm. And I remember feeling like I was going to literally die. And I remember thinking, great. Like, they're going to find my body in a Denny's stall bathroom dead. Because I could literally feel my spirit leaving my body. Mm. Like, as if I was going to have an out-of-body experience. And... I remember, like, they say your life flashes before your eyes when you have that moment. Mm -hmm. Mine briefly did, but the only thing that flashed before my eyes was the fact that I served God and that I met God when I was 18 years old and I had thrown it all away Mm. and that I was not going to die serving God harder than I served the devil. I was going to die in a Denny's bathroom because I was drunk off my butt. Mm. And then to top it all off, there's a song playing. You know, they always pump that stupid music in from the Siri, whatever. It was Huey Lewis in the news singing Back in Time from the Back to the Future soundtrack. (laughs) And and I literally remember thinking to myself, I'm going to die. They're going to find my body. My testimony isn't going to be that I was a minister of God. It's going to be that I died in a Denny's bathroom and this punk rock hillbilly whose favorite groups are like the clash and Johnny cash and all of this like social distortion and these punk rock things. I'm going to have to go out like a chump listening to Huey Lewis and the news, the soundtrack (laughs) back to the future. And I'm like, this is completely insane. Mm -hmm. And as I'm throwing up and about ready to die, I, the one time, I heard the Holy Spirit speak in my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but I could hear the voice of God inside my heart. It was very quiet. And and it was just the Holy Spirit saying to me, you can go back in time. It's not too late. Mm. And I'm like, "Am am I tripping out? Like, is this music messing with my head? But I felt it. And I remember saying, Lord, bring me back, man. If you can bring me back, bring me back. And I thought, honestly, Stephanie, that it was like a thief on the cross moment that I was going to die, but at least I was going to go out asking for forgiveness. Mm. But I didn't die. And about like five minutes later, I heard this knocking on the door because Kurt's like, hey, (laughs) unlock the door. (laughs) And I remember getting up and walking out and Kurt just staring at me. He's like, what happened? And I'm like, I'm stone cold sober. And he's like, what happened to you? Because he could see that something had visibly uh, uh, changed me. And I love when he tells the story because like he literally sees God back in my life in a moment. Mm -hmm. And God was faithful to save my life because he knew that I'd go back and I'd keep looking for truth. And I did. I took about a year to just really make sure I had my sobriety on lockdown, my mental state on lockdown. And I started searching for God. And that's why I started this podcast, Omega Frequency. Because mm-hmm. like, not only did Kurt tell me this is like a great way for you to minister again, but like you bring guests on and you ask them the hard questions. Like you ask them the questions that you don't know. 
and you go on a journey and be brave enough just to make your podcast at some point a public journal. Mm. Like I'm on this journey with you, man. I've had just a wide gamut of different people theologically on the show, but I just wanted to learn. One of those people was your husband yeah. talking to me all crazy about church fathers and whatnot. Uh-huh. And you see, what's really crazy about it, Stephanie, is that I was always drilled as a revivalist preacher, as a revivalist evangelist. We got to go back to the days of Pentecost. That's where it was. They turned the whole world upside down. They reached their generation for God. They were the only ones to do it. Mm. Like, we need a revival. We need to go back to Pentecost. And that was like, okay. That was like, I'm Johnny one noting this thing. Little did I know that by going back to Pentecost, and going back to the people of that first, second, and third century church. Yeah. And and discovering the roots of the faith. And man, Phil Baker, he sowed a lot into my life. He yeah. did, man. And really turned me on to the writings of the church fathers and just this authentic Sermon on the Mount Christianity where the more I study it, the more that it just makes sense on such a simple, simple level. Yeah. And it, it radically transformed my whole entire theology, the whole entire way I do things, the whole entire way I look at life. Mm. Like I can truly say that I'm going to be 48 next month and I'm finally keeping that promise that I made to God when I was 18 because I'm literally serving God now. Yeah. with an understanding of what it means to really be a Christian mm-hmm. and to what it really means to be a Pentecostal Christian. Uh, it has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, signs and wonders, or anything like that. It just has to do with this Pentecostal tradition of this apostolic belief that they read the the writings of the apostles, they broke bread, they took communion, they just believe that at a certain point when you met God, God changes your life. Mm. As you go into those waters of baptism, you come out a different person. And it's so simple. Yeah. And yet it's the hardest thing to articulate sometimes, but it's the most simplest message when it all comes down to it. And God's faithful. If you go on a journey of truth, man, he'll bring you to the truth. It might take you a long, long time. But if you're always humble and honest before the Lord, even if you go off to dangerous, dangerous waters, like that thing about him leaving 99 sheep and coming after the one and breaking its legs and putting it on his shoulder and bringing it back, that's real. Mm. That is 100% real. And God is good like that. And I just hope that in some small way, anyone that's listening kind of can be encouraged that they don't have to have all the answers right away. They don't have to have a corner on the truth that they can be completely, completely free to say, I don't know all the answers, but I'm researching and it's okay that I'm researching. It's okay that I'm seeking for truth. It's okay that I'm doing this as long as I keep praying, as long as I keep reading my Bible, as long as I keep my heart honest before the Lord, the Lord will bring me out of the bad situations, but he'll always bring me back to the good situations. Yeah. And God's good that way, man. Well, I think that's awesome. I think it's um, it's it's really hard when you have been in some sort of public place where you're— um, 
you're in front of people and you're you're speaking and you've got and even with like having the podcast and um, doing YouTube stuff like I I think that it shows I mean we said this earlier but it just it shows humility to know that the person that you're listening to is not so like staunch in their beliefs that they refuse to change when they get more information you know when we get when we understand more or we have um, you know new information coming out that you're finding in the the early Christian writings or maybe you're reading it through their perspective and you're you're changing I think that says that's that's so important it says so much about um, the character of your of your leaders or of your of, you know the people that are teaching you you know it's it's easy to kind of dig your heels in and to stay in place but it's a lot harder to always be searching and trying to get to truth and um, it's you know it's a never-ending quest you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get to this point where you're like okay now I'm good we're done you know but it's being conformed to the image of Christ. There's so much of the Christian life is kind of this whittling away process. And mm-hmm. um, and I think I see that a lot in you. And I think um, I, I appreciate you sharing so much tonight. I think you've um, just given us a really awesome picture of the transformational power of God and um, how even when you do give your life over to Christ, that doesn't mean that it's easy. And that doesn't mean that yeah. it's going to be without its struggles. Um, but how powerful that God has given you um, close friendships and relationships to help keep you in line when you're like, I'm ready. I'm walking away from all of this. I'm done with it. I'm done with this life. This isn't me anymore. Um, God has been kind in giving you those relationships. And I just, I thank you so much for sharing tonight. You just have. You're um, welcome. Thank yeah. you for having me on the show. Yeah. I appreciate it. Oh, the, it was, it's, it's so important for us to be honest and vulnerable. And I think that that's something that you model really well. And I just appreciate you taking your time out. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's a blessing to be on here. And before I go, I just want to say something to everyone that's listening, like, especially if you don't know me, like, look, the God we serve never changes. He never changes, but we do. And he expects that. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that we know in part and we won't truly know until we see him and are known as he is known So never, ever, 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 ever be afraid to ask questions. Never be afraid to really dig deep into God's word and and study things and realize that when we come across truth, we have one or two ways we can go. We can either dismiss that truth because it doesn't fit into our life or we can take our life and try to make it closer to that truth and it can be hard because that means laying down things a lot of times that are very close to us yeah like me trying to figure out how to live a sermon on the mount lifestyle has been incredibly challenging and difficult Mm -hmm. for me but like when you dig in to the one who is the truth and everyone that's listening please hear me on this it is worth it it's gonna be hard 
things are going to fall off. You're going to have to examine your life. You're going to have to try to figure out how to do things differently. But like when you lay those things down, there's a safety. Jesus said that if you believe these teachings of mine, he's specifically talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, you build your life on these foundations and when the storms come, your house stands. He doesn't say like, if the storms come, he says, when the storms come, when the rain, when the flood hits your house. These foundational truths, man, you don't have to know everything. People always are like, I got to know the whole encyclopedia of early church fathers and know the whole Bible backwards and forwards. Learn the foundational truths, the simple ones, like really hone in and try to make those three chapters in the book of Matthew really, really make sense to your mind. The Sermon on the Mount. And when we enter these dangerous prophetic times we're living in now, God promises us that our houses stand. And that's comforting, man. And if we can have any sort of comfort in the world, that's it. Because God can't lie. He cannot change. His promises are immutable and he loves us. That, That whole Sermon on the Mount is about how we love one another, but we love one another because he first loved us. Yeah. And if you can find it in your heart, seriously, to let God love you, because that's really hard. Mm-hmm. You will have a really, really rewarding time mm-hmm. studying the scriptures and searching for truth. So thank you for bringing me on and letting me share my story. Yeah. God bless you, Stephanie. Well, well tell folks where they can find you, BDK. Oh, Oh, we got to do the, we got to do the shameless plugs. Yeah. Um, Uh, No, not a shameless plug. (laughs) Just, hey, we want more. Where do we get it? Uh, Just go to omegafrequency.com. That's our website. Uh, Type Omega Frequency into the YouTube search engines will come up. Yeah. And, or there's links at the website. So. All right. Just go check it out. And if you're blessed by it, share it with someone, tell someone. And. Just live for Jesus, man. Yeah. You know, that's the best way you can support everything that we do, man. Just live that truth out, man. I never get tired of hearing stories of how God transforms lives. BDK's testimony is so incredible, and God is truly the star of the story. I hope that his story encourages you to open up and be vulnerable and share your struggles with one another and to seek the Lord most of all. You can find BDK's info on omegafrequency.com or on YouTube by searching Omega Frequency. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the Faithful Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and a review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. You can find me on my website, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.